Hello, welcome to the first KPMG Tax Now podcast episode. With the federal election now behind us, and so too are the Labor Party's controversial thin capitalisation proposals, is it now simply business as usual for the large end of town? My name is Jenny Wong. I'm a director in KPMG's Economics and Tax Centre. I hope we can bring you some insight on this question and the broader topic of thin capitalisation, its past, present and future. This podcast gives you direct access to KPMG's experts across tax, economics, regulation and compliance to tease out some of the more complex matters that might have landed on your desk. Now with me today, I have a few cups of coffee to discuss thin capitalisation is Tim Keeling, KPMG partner in transfer pricing. And Tim's been on the other side of the fence working with the Australian Tax Office, as well as Catherine Dean, a KPMG partner in our corporate tax group with extensive corporate tax advisory experience, especially in the resources sector. Hello to you both. Thanks, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Now, we've worked together on some interesting client matters in the past few weeks, mainly on thin capitalisation in the lead up to the federal election. I want to have a discussion around that today and reflect on some of the issues that we talked about in the meeting. Firstly, to you, Tim, if I may, could you give us some background about Australia's current thin capitalisation regime, what they originally intended to do, and why was it so important for businesses? Thanks, Jenny, and thanks for having me. I think... You know, when I reflect on ThinCap, it's been around for a while now, about 18 years or so. So I made the comment before that it's about to graduate from high school. I mean, it was brought in place to give some options to business, to simplify things in some respects. The reality is we're a net capital importer. And I think at that point in time, you know, the Howard government of the day wanted to incentivize foreign investment. And they gave our clients a lot of flexibility. They brought in three options. We had the worldwide gearing ratio, which was broadly, you know, you can fund your um, local entity to the same degree of gearing as your consolidated group. We have, you know, what's commonly referred to as the safe harbour approach, which at that time was gearing up to 75% of your assets here locally. Um, Obviously, there's been changes to that over time, and that's been brought in a little bit. And then finally, we had the arm's length debt test, and you know that was your catch-all, and and I think at the time it was really focused on those asset-intensive industries and operations, particularly in the mining space. I remember reading the, um, I think it was the EM to the ThinCap bill, and whilst we've got the safe harbour, the arms-length debt test was considered the most appropriate method overall. But because of compliance reasons, they end up in with the safe harbour test, which I thought was interesting. I think that's right. I mean, I th- if you look at the seventy-five percent test or threshold that was brought in, I think on reflection, you would say that that was quite concessionary to most taxpayers. Most most of our clients would, you know, could gear up to 75% and they would do that. And there was clearly an, um, clear reasons to do that. You know, recently, that's gone back to 60%. And I still think you'll, you see, you know, from the taxpayer population that the overwhelming majority of taxpayers are continuing to use um, the safe harbour approach because of its simplicity, relatively speaking. And because of the fact that that 60% gearing continues to be an attractive number. Catherine, could you tell us um, a bit about the Australian Labor Party's policies um, before the election and what were they proposing on thin cap? The Labor Party had some really um, interesting thin capitalisation policies that had pretty far-reaching impacts on taxpayers in Australia in particular, remove the safe harbour test and the arm's length test and solely have a worldwide gearing test. Now, 
given worldwide gearing was is currently only used by a very small amount of taxpayers, it really is it was a game changing policy just to rely on worldwide gearing. So that would mean, as an example, it would be based on the gearing of the global operations um, of a group. So if the group had 30% gearing, the Australian um, entity would be limited to that 30% gearing. Yeah, and the interesting thing about the Labor Party policy was it it was announced in 2015, which predated all the OECD BEPS um, recommendations on interest limitations deductions. So... um, I think that's right, though. I mean, the world moved a lot since then. Um, And look, you've got to give credit to a party that tries to be transparent with its policies and approaches. That policy was put out very early. But clearly, you know, a lot of thinking was done at the BEPS level um, to try and, you know, account for the fact that there's plenty of different kinds of businesses out there. They fund in different ways. They have different facts and circumstances. And you've got to make sure that when you're developing thin cap policy, particularly as a net capital importer, that you're making sure there's neutrality there and you're making sure that there's a level playing field when it comes to the ability of businesses to be able to finance in a way where the tax policy doesn't restrict them. Yeah, this is actually a good time to talk about, um, we've had a few meetings in the past few weeks. Just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the nature of the companies affected under the Labor Party's proposals if, if we headed down that path. Yeah, a bit of a discussion around that. Yeah, look, I mean, I think f- from the ones I was seeing, I think when, when you focus on a metric that, that looks solely at the balance sheet, clearly companies and businesses that don't have a lot recorded on their balance sheet are going to suffer. So we saw a lot in the tech space where you had really strong companies, big cash flows, really healthy P&Ls, but not much on their balance sheet. And they were looking at this going gee whiz, how's this going to work for us? How are we actually going to be able to to finance and and to expand and to continue to invest in Australia if this policy is introduced? I think similarly you had um, foreign investors, pension plans, for example, that rely on member contributions that aren't heavily geared from from banks and from financial institutions looking at this going, how's this going to work for us? So whilst the concept in theory was was you know, clear to follow. I think practically because of the fact there's so many different kinds of businesses investing in Australia, it was going to lead to a few problems. And I think, you know, from my side, that's where the arm's length debt test that's in the current legislation, you know, tries to cat- be that catch-all and solve that problem by saying, hey, if you're a little bit different or if, you're, if the commercial practices of your industry work a little bit different in terms of financing, the arm's length debt test is there to accommodate you. Mm, yep, good observations. Catherine, what, was, what has been your experience? Yeah, so, I mean, if we went down the path of Labor's proposals on thin cap, I can think of a couple of um, situations where it would be very difficult to apply a worldwide gearing test. So, for instance, one example I can think of where I had an Australian company, Australian resident company, and um, there's a question if you're just an Australian resident without actually any um, outbound operations, um, how you actually apply worldwide gearing when you don't have any worldwide operations but you're still subject to thin cap because of the nature of some of your investors, your your foreign controlled. The other scenario that's probably specific to mining is in relation to joint ventures which are very commonly used in that industry and how you apply worldwide gearing in the context of joint venture operations. Do you apply it to, you know, the majority joint venture partners' interest in a project? So 
there are certain practical difficulties in applying a worldwide gearing test. And um, further to our conversations earlier, I think Australia, we have to recognise a lot of Australia's projects are long-term projects, particularly infrastructure, mining, they require long lead times in terms of investments and also certainty and some of these changes, uh, proposals do affect investor confidence here. Now with the election over um, and we have a coalition government now, what can businesses expect on thin capitalisation and what do they need to do? So now we've got some certainty with the election over. Pre-election, there was a bill introduced into Parliament, basically a, a bill that proposed some changes to the thin cap rules. In particular, um, it proposed that you would have to use what your values of assets and liabilities as reported in your financial statements. Uh, rather than adopting revaluation solely for tax purposes. So those changes were proposed um, to apply for income years from 1 July 2019, so from 1 July 19 this year, and potentially those changes come in. There are two observations there. One is the bill actually lapsed pre-election on the 11th of April. It is expected that bill will go ahead, and there are obviously some transitional arrangements in relation to taxpayers who are filing returns. There's also um, a transitional arrangement for taxpayers who obtained a valuation pre the announcement of these changes on the 8th of May 2019. But um, really the key change here is uh, the removal of the ability of taxpayers to use um, intangible revaluation of assets different to what's recorded in their financial statements. And Tim, um, what about the arm's length? debt test? I think it's interesting. I think you know, the, the, the short message from what Catherine's saying is that the safe harbour isn't what it used to be. It's, it's not as friendly. And I think you're going to find that a lot more clients and businesses are going to consider the arm's length debt test now, whereas before they might not have because it took a little bit more effort to justify. When you start you know, in real terms de decreasing the value of the assets that you can use in the safe harbour test, naturally people are going to see what other options are available. And I think the ATO knows that. I think they've seen an upward tick in the businesses that are now adopting the arm's length debt test because they're looking at their balance sheets going, that doesn't reflect our economic value and what we want to do in terms of our capital investment in our operations, in our industry. And because of that, the ATO is saying, well, we probably need to check in on what we, the guidance we provided in the past on the arm's length debt test. And we've seen some draft guidance released recently from the tax office, um, you know, a, a draft tax ruling, um, which I think is welcomed because the last ruling on this was about 16 years ago, 2003. Um, and we're expecting some more guidance from the ATO regarding its, its risk approach and how it's going to consider high and low risk taxpayers from an arm's length debt test perspective. I think... The draft ruling clarifies a few things that we know the ATO were doing in practice around the arm's length debt test. There's probably a few things where there'll be some disagreement in the in industry with how the ATO is approaching things, but I reckon the greater focus will be on what is the practical way the ATO is going to take this forward. We've had not much movement in this space in the last 16 years. We had a board of tax consultation in 2013. There were a number of recommendations there, including potential 
revision of the law to get rid of some of the ambiguities. So I think the main thing the industry is seeking either through administrative guidance or through legislative tweaks is a little bit more clarity about how you work out something that's arm's length from a thin cap perspective versus how you work out something that's arm's length from a transfer pricing perspective. Because clearly the ATO's view, based on the way the legislation's written, is that there's a small divergence there. And that just com creates complexity and uncertainty in the, um, in the tax world. Mm. Just on the arm's length debt test, um, I've, I've had a few clients ask me, you know, has KPMG put in a submission on it? And, and we, are, we have put in the submission. Did you want to outline a few, some of the issues that we've highlighted in that submission? on the ruling regarding arm's length debt test? Yeah, I mean, at a very high level, I think what we're asking for is um, a little bit more clarity around the way the ATO will uh, look at how the arm's length debt test is applied on an annual basis versus when a debt might be introduced. I think we, we're saying that if things ha aren't changing too much, there should be a lower compliance burden for, for businesses in terms of updating their arm's length debt test analysis. I think... Clearly, we want a little bit more clarity regarding the certainty that businesses can get when they're borrowing from third parties as opposed to related parties. Clearly, when you're borrowing from a third party, you know, naturally, there's a lot more commercial tension in that deal. And, and inherently, that's arm's length or far more arm's length in nature, prima facie. There's a little bit of clarity we're asking for regarding how the ATO is perceiving the Australian business and things like implicit credit support from a transfer pricing perspective where they're saying it should be considered to a thin cap perspective where they say it should be excluded. Because again, I think that creates this issue where you might have a different arm's length interest rate and debt amount for transfer pricing purposes compared to the one you might have for thin cap purposes. And certainly given the way the wording of the legislation is written, one can reach that view, but it doesn't really um, help our clients in terms of how they apply that. And one has to wonder if that's really, you know, what Parliament should be striving for, given, like I said, we are a net capital importer and we should be promoting foreign investment here. Jenny, I just have one further comment to add on those changes from 1 July 19, is that it will obviously put a lot more pressure on the audited financial statements because you can't obtain separate revaluations for tax for thin capitalisation purposes. So that's um, something, yeah, it will put more pressure on finance and, and audit teams here to um, ensure that the um, accounts do reflect fair values. Yeah, good point. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Just finally, um, what do you think the future holds for Australia's capitalisation regime? Well, I think we're going, always going to have one. How it looks and feels over the, over the next three years, I think we've got a little bit of certainty in that. And, and now this is about how we apply it. Over the next 10 years, we, I mean, we clearly have to have um, um, a policy where we promote capital investment. We have, you know, relatively speaking, an uncompetitive corporate tax rate. And we need to work out ways to make sure that we continue to inspire overseas businesses to bring their capital in here for investment. And I think the main thing I would say is that, look, the policy direction is going to be determined by the government of the day. But in administering that policy, we should, you know, keep to underlying tax principles, which is fairness and neutrality for all businesses within the community so that there is a level playing field. Mm. Thank you. Catherine? Yeah, Jenny, to add to Tim's comments, really, we have to reflect that Australia is a capital importing nation. We need investment certainty 
taxpayers, particularly you know, the projects here are long, long-term projects, so there needs to be certainty in terms of the tax regime, um, including the thin capitalisation laws. So I think definitely the situation now is, is good. We have certainty, but we would like, uh, I think, the thin capitalisation laws to reflect also the fact that the tax rate for corporate taxpayers, large corporate taxpayers, is still at 30%, one of the highest in the OECD. So our thin capitalisation laws do need to reflect that high tax rate. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess certainly after the election, the coalition you know, probably doesn't have any appetite for any further changes or major changes on ThinkCap. And the only changes we'll probably expect is a revaluation and perhaps more focus on the arm's length debt test. All right, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks to our guests, Tim Keeling, KPMG Partner in Transfer Pricing and Catherine Dean, KPMG Partner in Corporate Tax. My name is Jenny Wong, a director in KPMG's Economics and Tax Centre. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email to kpmgtaxnow at kpmg.com.au. Register for KPMG Tax Now to access the website and receive regular updates from across the tax industry. Thanks for listening.